you. Uh, we are in the Psalms. We are in chapter 106, if you would like to turn there. Psalm 106. And it is uh, the first of uh, several praise psalms, so the uh, video was most appropriate. It's time to praise the Lord, and rightly so, because we're in Psalm 106. There are 48 verses here. What's a logical conclusion? There is no way we can do this this morning. So we're not. Uh, so we're going uh, uh, to spend this week and next week looking at a Psalm 106. Plus, it's super important uh, what it talks about here. Uh, I do want to uh, just thank uh, Dave DeHadway uh, for the announcement just about the new push pay program. The staff behind the scenes has put a lot of uh, effort into uh, getting, getting us on a new giving platform that is less complicated, uh, not as difficult, and is more easily accept, accessible through our new uh, uh, website, etc., uh, our mobile uh, app that we're coming up with and things. And so uh, we're c trying to stay up with the times. Uh, but I do want to thank you for being a generous church over the years. Uh, your generosity to God has been uh, unbelievable. And uh, even during coronavirus, your giving was off the grid. And uh, God is blessed. And you've equipped uh, your church to do great things for the Lord. And so I want to thank you for uh, just who you are and how much you sacrifice to advance the kingdom of Christ. Let's pray as we look at Psalm 106. Lord, uh, we pray you'd open up uh, the essence of this scripture uh, written by an unknown psalmist, but uh, his issue with sin is a known thing because we are all people in fleshly bodies with fleshly desires, and so we can understand his struggle, and maybe his struggle is our struggle, and so we pray we would learn to find victory today as we study uh, how to deal with a cycle of sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was uh, in uh, Dallas Seminary, my third year, between your third and your fourth year, you had to do an internship, uh, some kind of ministry position. Um, I was, since I was studying to be a professor, I, you know, I was like, I took this as a, well, I don't really want to go do that, but I, but I did it. Um, and I went out to San Diego where my parents lived, and I, was, uh, I, I served at their church as a, like a, a youth pastor for the summer. Uh, and, I, and I liked it so much in Rancho Bernardo, uh, California, just north of San Diego. Really rough place to suffer for God. Uh, marine layer comes in at night, and then it burns off at about 10 or 11. It's totally awesome. Um, I, I enjoyed it so much that I actually toyed with not going back to school to finish my fourth year. Uh, the, the high school group uh, grew and flourished. It was awesome. I was having a great time. Uh, but uh, but I, as you can see, I, I did go back to finish my fourth year. Uh, but uh, I, I learned much uh, about shepherding, and, and, and I learned I enjoyed shepherding, uh, and, and even though that's what wasn't my original plan uh, at the time, uh, I enjoyed it. And now I, God changed my course of action, and I didn't become the professor. I did become a preacher, and I learned much in, uh, about sheep at that day and time. I had a, a lot of different kinds of kids in my group. Uh, one of them was a, a girl we'll call Tracy. Uh, she uh, was bright. She was smart. Uh, she, she was like the life of the party. Everybody loved her. Uh, godly young woman. She was like my go-to uh, young lady on my team uh, to help me uh, with running things. Uh, she was just a great godly young woman. Uh, tons of potential I could see in her life down the road. Um, Things, however, changed dramatically that summer uh, because somewhere during that summer, uh, someone that, when she was at a party with some of her friends in San Diego, somebody introduced her to, to cocaine. And there was that one party with peer pressure that she decided, well, what can it harm? I'll just do it one time. Uh, one time became a lifestyle. 
uh, and it was tragic. Uh, I remember the last time that I saw her, uh, I got a phone call uh, asking, it was her, uh, and asking me if I could come see her at this special detox facility uh, for people like her. Uh, and it was over in La Jolla, over on the coast, and she said, would you come see me and pray with me before you, you go back to Dallas Seminary? And, uh, and so I, I said I would. And I, I remember uh, going to the facility, um, uh, realized my dad was a federal agent, so I, I either saw the kinds of people my dad arrested or I had friends like that that I grew up with. Because if you grew up in the 60s and 70s, I mean, drugs were like all over the place. Um, and so I, you know, I had friends that died from heroin overdoses and things like that as I grew up. So I was used to that, but I really wasn't ready to see what it had done to this beautiful young woman. I went into the facility, walked down to her room, uh, shocked when I walked in the room and I saw her. If you would have put who she was before and then who she was now, two totally different people. Didn't, didn't even look like her. Skeleton of a young woman uh, sitting there, uh, sickly looking, uh, unbelievable. Uh, she just wanted one thing for me uh, that day as her uh, youth pastor was going back to seminary. She just wanted to know, would you pray for me? She said, I need help. And I said, yeah, yeah, you absolutely do. Because she knew Christ, but she had willfully chosen to do this sin over here. Perhaps you can relate. Uh, maybe yours isn't cocaine. Maybe it's something else. But you willfully chose to go off the reservation. And now that sin that you chose has become this cycle that you're in. Uh, and as a Christian, you have the, uh, the resident power of the Holy Spirit to guide you to victory. But maybe you need somebody to come alongside you to pray for you. And the other thing I would say, just as a side note, authenticity and transparency is a great thing. Uh, if you're caught in sin, uh, the first thing you're going to want to do is hide it from everybody. And if you hide it, you think you're going to get victory over it. No, you won't. Uh, you're going to succumb to this. You need to tell godly people around you to pray for you, hold you accountable. That's what she did. Uh, when you think about what uh, Tracy was facing, uh, I can't help but think of Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, where he says this to Christians. It says, therefore, as a Christian, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Uh, epithumia, the Greek word for lust, means something that is like magnetic. It just draws you toward it. It says, and do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But as a Christian, he says, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness of God. Whenever you uh, take a, a negative, the word no in the Greek text, uh, which is the language of the New Testament, you take a negative no and you wed it to a present tense imperative, it means stop the action in progress. So there's two ways to say no in Greek. Don't even begin to think of it. And if you have children, you probably say this all the time, correct? Do not even entertain that thought or stop doing what you're doing. And so Paul says, when I look at Christians, I see that they, they do sometimes offer their members to unrighteousness. He says, you need to stop doing that. Because as a Christian, you have the resident power of the spirit to get, get victory over whatever that is that is your desire, that's evil. Uh, and, and what did Tracy need to do? She needed to say no to the, the desire and yes to the power of the spirit of God. And that's a willful thing. And that's where she was headed. Now, it's been many years. That was like 1984. Some of you weren't even born in 1984. Uh, that was a long time ago. I do not know what's happened to her, but I look forward to heaven to find out. And I hope uh, when I see her uh, that she got victory over that uh, because God gives victory to those who are caught in that, that cycle of sin. 106 is a great passage because chapter 106 in the Psalter uh, even though it's a praise psalm, uh, it talks about one main thing. And if you could boil down the entire motif of this 48 verses, it would be this. It is, this is from the Spirit of God. It is time 
to stop the crazy cycle of sin in your life. It's time to stop. He's speaking primarily to Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian today, you're under the dominion of sin. Sin, sin owns you. You do sin's bidding. It's just what comes natural to you. Paul talks about this in Romans 5, 12 to 21, if you want to read about it. Uh, but when you become a Christian, not only is your sin forgiven and you're positionally given the righteousness of Christ, now you have the spirit of God to then choose those things that please God, and he empowers you to do them, but you have a will to choose. And so when you look at this chapter, he's speaking primarily to Christians in the Babylonian captivity. So they've gone all throughout Israelite history, the Exodus, period of the judges, period of the kings. They've lost the nation. They've been carried away into captivity, 586 BC. Uh, and they're in captivity in, in Babylon. Uh, and this particular psalmist that we don't know who it is, is writing to say, I cannot believe that me, along with my nation, committed the same kind of sins that our forefathers did hundreds and thousands of years ago. You would think we would have learned, but we didn't. Have your parents ever set you down when you're explaining a situation that you're facing and they said something like this? Well, you know, back in uh, 1978, when I faced that, uh, this is what I did. If you're young, what do you typically do when your dad starts talking to you like that? I mean, what does he know? I mean, he's old. You know, I mean, what does he know? You know, etc. So this is that kind of, you know, the psalmist is sitting you down going, hey, listen up, listen up. It's time to get out of that crazy cycle of sin because your forefathers did it. You're, you've, you've, uh, you're doing the same thing, but you don't have to. So we want to study this. Um, I've already told you there's no way we're going to cover the 48 verses in one sermon, correct? So we're going to spend two Sundays doing this because there's so much here. But there are three structural markers that give you three uh, ideas uh, from God of how to get off that crazy cycle. So we're going to look at two of them this morning. Are really like one and a half. We want to look first at uh, the principle from verses one to five, where he starts out in a positive way, because he was a positive man, uh, by saying, well, there, there is a, a right path. You have to realize there's a right path. I mean, Tracy realized there's a right path that I should be on. She just wasn't on it. She willfully chose the wrong path. So when you're looking at sin in your life that keeps tripping you up, and by the way, didn't Josh do an excellent job with Hebrews 12 last week? Indeed, he did. Uh, it was amazing. Because Hebrews 12 was about you know, putting aside that sin that easily trips you up. And Josh and I talked about in, that in my office before he preached, uh, as Michael and I both kind of looked at his sermon. It's like, yeah, we do get tripped up, don't we? So if you're sitting there thinking today, this, this sermon's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah, right. So believe, first of all, there is a right path. So let's look at it. What does he say in a positive vein? So he's a, the glass is a half full kind of guy. Verse one, he says, praise the Lord, exclamation point. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now he's going to tell you why you should praise God. So why should you praise God? He, see the little prepositional phrase for? He's telling you the reason why you should praise God. So why should you praise God? He tells you. He's what? He's good. He's good. And he's going to give you, see the second prepositional phrase? Another reason why you should praise God is, well, his loving kindness is, it comes and goes. <laughs> no, it's everlasting. And then he says, in light of who God is, when you think about him, who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or who can show forth all of his praise? It's kind of hard to cover all the mighty deeds of God. They're so amazing. But he says, I'm going to focus on the fact that uh, you, should, you should praise God. So remember, this is a praise psalm. Uh, so halal in Hebrew means to lift up something higher than yourself. So hallelujah, is to, is, yah is God. So halal to raise up in Hebrew is to raise God up higher than yourself. 
uh, because he is greater than you. So you're praising him. Uh, here he tells you, you're praising him because he's good. Uh, and then parallelistically, uh, good is related to loving kindness. Uh, loving kindness is the Hebrew word chesed with a kind of a guttural sound to it. You have to kind of learn to spit a little bit. It's kind of like German or Russian. Uh, Etc. I remember the first Russian class I taught in Sacramento and the Russian soldier got up and talked to me uh, halfway through the class before I gave him a, a water break. Uh, I asked the pastor, what did Nikolai have to say as he was screaming and yelling at me in Russian, very rough sounding. And he said, the brother Nikolai say you've opened his eyes to new things. He blesses God for you. Awesome. You know, I'm like, what do you say? <laughs> I said, tell Nikolai, no wonder we had a problem with you in the, whole, in the Cold War. Um, they all started laughing at that point. It was, anyway, back to my sermon. What are we talking about? Hallelujah. No, well, hallelujah. You're praising God, and you're praising God for Hesed, loyal love, that, that guttural kind of stuff. Uh, so God is, is a loving, kind God. So Hesed means loyal to you to the core. He will never leave you. This is kind of the Old Testament version of Romans 8, where Romans 8 says that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You got that? Nothing? Not even your own willful sin like Tracy. So was Tracy saved? Absolutely. Was she acting like a child of God, a daughter of God? Oh, no. But did that separate her from the love of Christ? No. Because Paul says in Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not height, not depth, not principalities, not powers. No, demons, those are words for demons. Nothing. And Jesus says, and he also says, that you, you, no one can snatch you out of my hand. That pretty much means what it says, Correct. Well, I just feel like I lost my salvation. How? Jesus said, I got a hold of you. Talk about a master grip. So if Jesus has got you, who in their right mind would think he just let me go? No, he might discipline you, as we're going to see, but he's not going to let you go. So let's establish the fact that God should be praised because he's a God full of loving kindness for you. I mean, verse 3. Then he tells you, you want to live a blessed life on the right path? How do you do it? It's pretty simple. I mean, people think, what is God's will for my life? Here it is, verse 3. Are you looking? How blessed are those who, two things, keep justice and who practice righteousness every now and then. No, all the time. Then he says, uh, God, remember me. And the, and the Hebrew word zakar means to remember with action. So remember me, O Lord, in thy favor toward thy people and visit me with thy salvation. So he's being honest here. He's saying, God, I mean, I bless you because you are a God full of loving kindness. You're always there even when we sin. Uh, but, but, I, but I've got sin in my life. Uh, and I'm going to talk about here in a couple of verses. But I, I'm gonna, I need salvation. He's saved, but he needs forgiveness. And that word salvation, Yasha in Hebrew, is the basis for when we get the word Yeshua. Uh, the Hebrew name of Jesus, and the, and the Greek name of Jesus is Jesus. So it's the Hebrew version of the name of Christ. He goes, I need, I need salvation. Don't you? If you're, what, is, what did Tracy need on the cycle of sin? She needed salvation, Yeshua, to come and save her from, from what she was engaged in. But he says, if you want to live a blessed life on the, on the right path, you should do two things. You should, what did he say? Keep justice as a lifestyle and practice righteousness. What does the devil come and tell you? Don't do that. Don't, don't live a just life. Don't live a righteous life. I mean, I think he's pretty active in D.C., wouldn't you think? You know? I mean, you think about our leaders. Are they, are they consistently just? No. Are they consistently righteous? Well, they keep redefining what is righteous. You know, so I think, I think God and the Spirit have a lot of issues with people who lead things. But as a Christian, if you want to lead a blessed life, well, then pursue being a righteous person, holy, and being just. 
devil tells you the opposite. No, he's going to tell you. I mean, he's going to come to you with a raspy voice and, and cause you to question God like he did Eve. Hath God said? He's going to come and ask you questions, and he's going to get you off of the right path onto the wrong path like he did Tracy, which is cocaine one time. What can it hurt? Uh, when I was a young kid, uh, my mom, I was about seven, eight years old. Uh, my mom uh, went to go run an errand, uh, and she left me and my sister uh, at home with strict instructions to stay out of the kitchen. What I hear, kitchen is mine. You know, so I was bad. So, you know, I heard, hey, hey, it's free game, kitchen. Uh, so I had one goal when I went into the kitchen that day when my mom pulled out of the carport uh, in our, of our home in the desert near Yuma, Arizona, um, to find whatever I could sweet to eat. So I began, uh, I'm making my search. I went through every cabinet. I found nothing. She had it hidden. And then it was like, I'm seven, so it's like a way above me. So I pulled the chair up to the counter, climbed up on the chair, jumped up on the, on the tile, began to walk from cabinet to cabinet, opened the doors. And I'm like, man, I'm like dying here. She's going to come back any minute. i got to find something. Uh, and I finally found a box. It was like a white box. And, and it was a box of chocolate. I thought, score me. And so I pulled the box out. I pulled off the lid. I looked inside. There's multiple chunks of chocolate in there calling my name. And I'm like, I'm looking at him going, there's a whole bunch of these. I could eat one or two of these. There's no way she hasn't counted. And I could just eat one or two. She'll never know. And so I pulled one out and I sunk my teeth into it. I'll never do that again. <laughs> because it wasn't chocolate. It was baking chocolate. <laughs> Have you ever eaten? Have you ever eaten baking chocolate? Yes. Don't do it. It's like cocaine. I mean, don't do it. I ate it and it's like, wow, look sweet, mm, bitter. See, what's the devil do to you? God says, you want to lead a blessed life? Do two things. Live a just life and a righteous life. Do it consistently. You'll grow up and be mature. You'll change the world. What's the devil come along? He said, oh, no. I mean, there's times when you need to be a little you know, fudge with the justice thing. Don't live so righteous all the time. Too straight-laced, too prudish. You won't fit in, etc. So if you want a blessed life, you should know today when you leave this place, you have uh, the path, the right path to be on. So live a just life. Is it possible to live a just life and a righteous life all the time? Answer is not yes. <laughs> this is a softball question. So is it, po no, it's not possible. Why? Because as a Christian, you live in a body with flesh and desires, correct? I mean, my mom no sooner pulls out, I'm looking for the chocolate when she said, don't do that. Right? I'm also the kid when she said, don't, you know, don't put your hand on top of the stove ever. What did I hear? Put your hand on the stove. I did. She had just finished cooking. It was gas. It was hot. I never did that again. So, you know, I was the self-willed child. I had a lot to learn growing up. Uh, you know, it's just like follow just thing. Follow righteousness. But so it's going to be hard to do that, but it's not impossible because the Spirit can help you stay on the right path. Case in point, John 13. Jesus says, I gave you an example that you should, uh, that you should also do as I did to you. So Jesus says, follow my example. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave, i.e., you, is not greater than his master, i.e., Jesus. Neither is the one who is sent greater than the one who has sent him. Notice a conditional clause. If you know these things, notice the then part of the clause. The apotesis is the if. The apotesis the the and apotesis is then, then you're blessed. But you got to do it. You got to do it. But if you do it enough, you are blessed of God and you learn how to walk in a righteous way. It's just that uh, it's difficult because your flesh pulls you in opposite directions. 
But is this possible each day to live more godly today than I did yesterday? And so that's what he's saying. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, verse 22, he says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. You can be a person who's, man, I know a lot of Bible. I'm in all kind, <laughs> kinds of Bible study. Dr. Howard Hendricks, when I took him at Dallas Seminary for uh, Bible study methods, hermeneutics, back in 1981, he came back from a seminar that he did. And he said a, a young man, or an old, older man came up to him after the ser series on Ephesians and told Dr. Howard Hendricks, one of the greatest teachers that ever walked the planet. And he told Dr. Hendricks, man, I've been through Ephesians so many times in my lifetime, I've heard it. I mean, beginning to the end, I know it well. Dr. Hendricks looked at him and said, but sir, I'm more concerned at how many times the book of Ephesians has been through you. Did you hear me? Not how much you know about it, but did it go through you? See, he's just a hearer of the word, not a doer of the word. So there's a lot of Christians who think they're spiritual because they know a lot about God, but they don't do what God said. See, but it's possible to hear the word and to do the word. So if you are a Christian this morning, you're walking out of this building, you're thinking, what did Marty talk about today? Well, it's get out of the crazy cycle. And it starts with, first, I got to realize there's the right path. And there is a right path. And I, I need to be on that right path. Uh, it's willful to get on that right path. When I was in high school, uh, we would go over to uh, the beach uh, in San Diego, Imperial Beach area, and, and parents would rent a place on the beach. And we'd invite friends and stuff, and we would hang out at the beach. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we would get boogie boards. So we'd go out on the beach surfing. Pacific, by the way, is really cold. I was shocked the first time I went here to the beach. No seaweed. And it was warm. Pacific, you kind of walk in, you know, just slowly. Uh, and, and we were boogie boarding all day, having a great time, me and my pastor son, Tim. We were in high school, strong guys, fearless, out hitting the waves. Uh, and we got caught in a riptide. And we, you know, as we were boogie boarding, you'd boogie board and coast in, you'd swim back out and you kind of watch the, 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 the lifeguard towers on the beach to kind of see where you were. Uh, and we, we, we lost sight of the, the lifeguard tower and it's way down there. And we're looking at a rock jetty over here and it's like, it's not looking good. We got sucked way out to where the boats were. The two high school kids floating around on blue boogie boards. When you're caught in a riptide, how do you get out of the riptide? You swim sideways. I'm here today because we both had a brain. We realized what happened to us and we realized there's no way we're gonna get back in trying to swim against the current. We gotta go across and so we did uh, and God freed us. If that's you, if you're Tracy today as a Christian and you're trying to swim against the current or you're just going with the current of sin, well, willfully get back on the right road. Swim the opposite direction which would be toward God. Number two, uh, realize also if there's a right path you have to have the antithesis, right? The opposite. There, there's a wrong path. That's verses 6 to 46. So that's the heart of the passage. He's going to spend the heart of the passage talking about Christians who blew it. Why? Because they are an example to us to learn from. So if your parent does sit you down and begin to explain to you, I faced the same kind of thing when I was a young man. Listen. A wise person listens. So this is the man sitting down and telling us, wow, have we blown it. Uh, historically, verse six, he says, notice he uses the plural here. We, we, not just me, not them. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We've behaved wickedly. He just used three words for sin there uh, to describe. I cannot believe after all I know, he says about walking with God, reading the Torah, reading the prophets, everything I know that we have wound up in captivity over the same kinds of sins that our forefathers did. Have you ever looked at yourself as you've gotten older and, and you've all, all of a sudden become your father? Has this happened to you? 
I mean, maybe some of the bad things, the bad traits that you thought to yourself as a young man, I will never in my lifetime make that mistake. What's happened to you? Why are you getting so quiet all of a sudden? Yes, or you become your mother. It's just like I, I've picked up the same sins. That's what he's talking about. He's dumbfounded that the, he's got into this crazy cycle of sin just like his forefathers did uh, many, many hundreds of years ago. I'm gonna show you a picture I find most interesting. Do, okay, do you see that? Who in their right mind would be in a kayak with your wife and tell her something like this? Hey, baby doll, we're just going to go paddle over there and just check it out. What is going to happen? See, this is the military church. You're thinking, I dive into things like that for the Navy. Okay, just park that for a minute. Think. Because <laughs> we've got some Navy SEALs here. I know how they think. Yeah, right. So let's just, just think like a normal human for just a second, okay, right? Who would paddle near that? Because what would happen? You, do you know? You're going to get sucked in. What happened to Tracy? I'm going to paddle as close to that whirlpool as possible. Not me. I'm not getting sucked. What happened? I got sucked in. So that's what this psalmist says in the, in the captivity. I cannot believe him. I'm sitting here in Babylon in captivity over the same sins we should have learned about from our history. So what I want to do is uh, I'm going to look at verses uh, well, 7 to 15. Uh, what he's going to cover in verses 7 through 36 are uh, two time periods involving sin of the nation. Two time periods. Uh, the first time period that he will cover in verses 7 to 33 is Israel in the wilderness. Blew it over and over and over again. Cycle of sin. Then he's going to talk about in the, in the next section, verses 34 to 36 next week, he's going to talk about the cycle of sin during the period of the judges. They didn't learn in the wilderness and they didn't learn in the period of the judges. God wants you to learn. So I want to zero in on the sin cycle. I have a graphic here to kind of explain it to you. So if you look at the, all of those verses, chapter 106, verse 7 and following, um, you'll typically find with some minor deviation, this is what, how the sin cycle operates. God gives you some kind of divine provision and you know that he did something in your life and it's shocking to you. You at that point, when you see this, you have momentary belief in the work of God. And then later, when you're at a party or wherever, you're tempted and then you quickly rebel. And then that rebellion becomes a life of rebellion. So what does God do? Well, go back to what Josh was talking about last week in Hebrews 12, but he didn't get to these verses, but talks about whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He disciplines every son or daughter. Why? Because he loves you and he wants you to walk holy. So divine discipline then steps in. And then eventually God gets your attention and you then say, yeah, I shouldn't have snorted that. And then he forgives you. And then he does something great in your life. And then you believe him again. And then you rebel again. And on and on that goes. So what's the object of your Christian life? I would say it's to limit how many times you are in items three and four. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? Don't you don't want to see Jesus to help? You kept me busy with three and four. Anyway, back to my sermon. So we want to look at uh, verses 7 to 33, not all those verses, but uh, that's just photo album one of the wilderness wandering. And we want to zero in on uh, six snapshots. We're going to look at just one snapshot quickly. The snapshot of the Exodus period, verses 7 to 15. How did Israel fare during the Exodus? Notice what he says. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand thy wonders. They did not remember thine abundant kindnesses, they did what? 
they rebuild where? By the sea. Uh, which one? All right, see. Wow. Stop and think about this. Uh, Dr. Alan Ross, who taught me uh, Hebrew at Dallas Theological Seminary years ago, great man of God, uh, translates this whole uh, first part of this verse about them not understanding uh, and not remembering. Yeah, he translates it that they gave God no thought. Huh? Translated, they were indifferent to what? The tin plagues that they saw. It was like, eh, okay, whatever. That was cool. They didn't give it much thought. What planet were they from? If you saw 10 plagues that freed you from hundreds of years of captivity, I mean, wouldn't that kind of get your attention? Wouldn't you think after like plague one, you would think the, that old man stuck that wooden staff into the water. It turned total blood, unbelievable cause effect. It was a total miracle. I will never, ever walk off the reservation with God again. You think you'd say that, right? He says they saw 10 miracles, uh, like Nile turning the blood, uh, gnats and mosquitoes. <laughs> it's kind of like cicada. <laughs> Flies, the plague on the cattle, boils, locusts, darkness, and then the death of the firstborn. You know, you put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, death angel comes down your street, sees the blood, he passes over your house. That's a concept of salvation, by the way. Jesus is the lamb with the blood over your house when you're saved. But if he doesn't see the blood, then he strikes the firstborn. I mean, specific. You would think that if you saw 10 of those in the row, when you got up to the Red Sea and you're, all 2 million of you are with your backs up against the Red Sea to the west of you, and you see the Egyptian chariots coming, you would look at this and go, God's totally got this. No problema. Correct? What'd they do? Well, they, they, they bit the dust. It says in verse 10 of Exodus 14, and Pharaoh, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked when they saw the chariots, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. And so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then, then they said to Moses, notice, notice how they talk here. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? We want new graves out here in the middle of nowhere? They said, why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying... Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Isn't this unbelievable? They just saw God miraculously deliver them. They're backed up to the Red Sea and they fold like, their faith folds like a lawn chair. Or you're thinking to yourself, I totally would not have done that. Think of the last time your faith folded like a lawn chair at a party or at a business meeting. When you just thought to yourself, well, it's just one drink. It's just one drink. A guy in my first church, church uh, Cyrus Marks, uh, great man of God, um, went all through World War II as a U.S. Army infantryman, fought uh, France, etc. He said, I never drank the entire time. But when we beat the Germans, he said, where I was, we had a huge party. He said, I decided I might as well drink one time. He then became an alcoholic immediately. Jesus, just one, just one. See, they folded like a lawn chair. They didn't stand before God. They rebelled against him. How did God respond? It says in verse 8 of Psalm 106, uh, amazing verse of God's mercy. They sinned. Nevertheless, he did what? He saved them. Who did he do it for? His namesake, that he might make his power known. See, God might look at your situation and say, you have so drugged my name through the mud with your family, with your friends. I'm gonna, I am going to save you, but my powers are going to be displayed, and I'm doing it primarily because of my great name. 
That, that's why he delivered them. Uh, he, he saved them. He, he, he made his power known. He's made his great name known. He rebuked the Red Sea. It dried up. He led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of the one who hated them. He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy, the chariots, the Egyptians. The waters uh, covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. You would think if you saw old man Moses on the, on the eastern shore of the Red Sea to hold forth his staff and command the waters to fall back on the Egyptians, and it immediately happened, you would think you would say to yourself and to your children, we will never question God. But, but they did. They did. The average depth of the Red Sea, by the way, is 1,608 feet, which means, could you imagine walking through there? Not only did the water part, but the ground was immediately dried. You walked across on dry ground, not muddy. And can you imagine walking through there that night? walking through there and you got 1600 foot a wall of water on your left and your right and it's turbulent and there's fish swimming through it and stuff i mean could you imagine and you get to the other side and then it falls back at the command of old man moses you you would think you would always sing praises to god but they didn't it says in verse 12 then when they saw this they believed his words and they sang his praise this is great but it also shows you that their faith was weak because they didn't believe his word first they had to see a work and then believe. It says in verse 13, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they caved, uh, they craved intensely in the wilderness and they tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request. He disciplines them, but he sent them a wasting disease among them. No sooner did, Aaron, did a Moses and Aaron, Aaron's wife, Miriam, a prophetess, sing praises for the parting of the Dred Sea in Exodus 15, uh, then the people asked for two things. They begin to, according to the scriptures in Exodus 15, 22 and following, chapter 16, they crave two things. We want water and we want food. You would think that the God who just parted the water would not be a God you would ever question. But I've been out in the Sinai before. I can tell you, when you're looking in the Sinai at the desert heat, when you look off in the distance, you do not see real water. You see a mirage of water. You, you don't see water, you see sand. You see an occasional acacia tree uh, and you don't see a whole lot of food walking around to hunt. You don't see any. So they, you can understand when you go out there, well, no wonder they complained, but they had seen the hand of God. You think they would have never questioned God, but they did. It says in Hebrew that they craved a craving. So it's not wrong to ask God for water. It's not wrong to ask God for food, but that's all they thought about. It consumed them like cocaine did Tracy, right? Craved a craving. Uh, if you don't relate to that because, you know, that's not your sin, well, maybe yours are Girl Scout Thin Mints. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a totally different thing. You're messing with me. Well, think about them for just a minute. Crave the craving, okay? You go buy those things, or maybe it's macaroons or whatever it is for you, but just say Thin Mints, okay? Case in point. You have uh, a box. It's very small. They're specifically designed to fit in your palate one time. One cookie, correct? Not two bites. One bite. There's two, there's two rows. So you think to yourself, multiple boxes in the freezer. That's where you put them, by the way. Freezer. You think to yourself, open one. I'm not going to have one. You open one, and you're thinking, oh, that went down so easy. Two. Next thing you know, the row's gone. So then what do you think? Because you're craving a craving, correct? So what do you think after the row's gone? Well, there's another row. I gotta, it's God's will for me to finish that other row. I'm, I'm craving a craving, correct? You're out of control. And you just wipe out the second row. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I gotta, gotta hide this box somewhere so no one <laughs> finds it. 
Because the kids are going to find it. Hey, Dad, when, when? You know, so, you know, get rid of the box, the evidence, etc. Um, but you craved a craving, right? So was it wrong to have one cookie, two cookies? No. Probably wrong to eat 30. See, that's what he's saying is like, it's not wrong to ask God for food and ask for water, but if that's all you're thinking about to where you tempt God, there's no way God could provide food here. So he did. So he provided water. Uh, it starts out in chapters 15 to 16, tells Moses, go take a tree to that water called Mara, in Hebrew means bitter. Throw the tree in there and the water that's brackish will turn to beautiful, sweet water. You're going to throw a tree in water to make it drinkable? Yeah, I got to see this. So what did he do? Threw the tree in the water and it became sweet. That wasn't enough for them. We want food. We want meat. We want meat. God says, oh, you want meat? I'll give you meat. What kind of meat did he give them? Quail. So much quail. The quail flying all through the camp. I mean, they're swatting at them. They're everywhere. And while the food is in their mouth, the, the freshly grilled, you know, quail, that's when God says, you've tempted me in your cyclical sin of disbelief. And he sent a plague to consume some of them. Because it's a cycle of sin. God judges when you rebel. What should they have done? Well, they should have just obeyed the word of God when he first came to them. And they should have trusted him no matter what. But they got into this cycle of sin, of rebelling, discipline of God. God had to then save them when they repented. Then they saw God's work and praised him for a while. Then they got back into rebelling, etc. Is that you? See, the goal is to, to limit that in your lifetime. And if you're a Christian, it starts with confession. First John 1, 9 is pretty simple. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins as Christians and to, and to do what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means he reinstates you as a daughter or a son. Maybe you need to do that today. And if you're not a Christian, well, then today's the day that you need to bow before Christ and say, God, wow, do I need your help? Save me today and he shall. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power of the cross of Christ, the power of the Spirit in our lives to help us move away from cyclical sin uh, and to walk in such a way that our lives honor you and give those who struggle in this area great victory today because they've heard the word of God. And if anybody doesn't know the Christ, might this be the day they embrace him in faith. In Christ's name, amen.